Amen. Good morning, church. I hope we all had a blessed week. Amen. Are you enjoying autumn? Uh, leaves are everywhere. Amen. This world is very amazing. One minute we can have flowers blooming, and the next day fall away dead away. The seasons really teaches us to me about the cycles of life. Amen. But I'm honored to come your way again, <clears throat> excuse me, this morning as we go through our series uh, on the book of John, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And today is our 60th installment. We made it to number 60, amen. Big 6-0 or 6-0, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your word. I thank you that you will minister through me. I pray that may these words not just become knowledge, may they become life, may they become revelatory to your people. And I pray that above all, enlarge the borders of our hearts that will be able to run with this message. May we find ourselves faithful doers of this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please go with me to the book of John chapter 13. Today we are moving to a new chapter. Um, So including today's message, I have three more messages. So that's today, uh, next week, and the week after. And then we'll wrap up volume three and pick up volume four next year. Amen. All right. So let's read the first 17 verses of chapter 13. And I read, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and gathered himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher. And Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example 
that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Based on today's reading, I'm speaking under the sub-theme, Leadership Principles from the Ultimate Leader. Today's story actually focuses on the sixth day, you know. So when you read um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then this book, which is John, you will begin to fill the gaps of what Jesus in between all the seven days. So with John, he just focused on some days and some days are out. So if you do remember, what we did in the previous chapter was six days prior to that. And now it shifted from six days prior to now, a day prior to Jesus' crucifixion. But like I said, if you read the other three books, it fills all the gaps of what Jesus did in between those days. Amen. Now, um, actually, uh, it's important to note that the sixth day is in three chapters of this book. So, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, all these four chapters are the sixth day. So, it is said that Jesus died on Thursday. I'm sorry, it is said that Jesus died on Friday. I'm sorry. So, chapters 13 to 17 is Thursday. All those chapters is just the sixth day. Amen. And then leading into Friday, that's the morning, because Jesus was arrested Friday morning, early in the morning. That's chapter 18. We'll see that. So, all the four chapters here all deal with the sixth day. Amen. Um, this, this story is also popularly known as the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper. Some call it the Lord's Supper because the Lord, who is Jesus Christ, ate with his disciples, there's 12 of them. Others also call it the Last Supper because it was Jesus' last, it's not necessarily his last meal per se, but this was his last meal he ate and then he died on the cross. But it wasn't his last meal on the earth. If you read the scripture, you realize that he also had a meal with them. Again, we will come to that in the book of John as well. Amen. And it's from this story that we get the sacraments or the doctrine of Holy Communion. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they documented that. They talked about Jesus instituting what was called the Lord's Supper or what is today in our term called Communion. There are scriptural evidences why we have communion. In fact, some time ago, about two weeks ago, I was talking with my wife and I was telling her that I think I need to preach on communion again. What communion really means, what communion really stands for. Amen. Because sometimes we need to understand these things than just being involved in a ritual. Okay? So apart from Pastor Steve saying that every first Sunday of the month is communion, will you be able to explain why we do communion, what is the scriptural evidence behind it. And I think it's a very important message we think so that when you are doing things like this, it's not devoid of understanding. Amen. So um, this particular story, if you read the scriptures carefully, it also appears in 
all the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So in Matthew, this story is in Matthew chapter 26, verse 17 to 30. If you look at Mark's version, it's in Mark chapter 14, verse 12 to 26. And if you look at Luke's version, it's in Luke chapter 22, verse 14 to 30. You could either write notes or listen. The, the slides will be ready at the end of the service. Amen. So I'll just forward it to you so that you can have them. Uh, John focused particularly on only one event that happened at the Adainan, other than the three authors. See, so every author that wrote, wrote it based on their perspective. So if you read Matthew's account, he didn't talk about the feet washing, but it happened. He focused on Jesus actually having the meal of the disciples and then instituting what was called the Lord's Supper or communion. Mark and Luke also focused on other things, but John didn't really focus on the meal itself. He focused on one particular event that happened during the meal. And it started off with the devil's influence on Judas. Uh, As a reader, I've asked myself this question many times. Why didn't Jesus cast out the demon out of Judas? Because throughout scripture, when Jesus walked on this earth, he didn't just perform miracles or healed people. He also casted out devils. And, and there is also a scriptural evidence that showed that the disciples were also involved in demon casting. So how come that you have someone close to you who is being influenced by the devil and yet you will not cast it out? That is a question I have personally asked myself as a reader of the scriptures. And I've come to find out that prophecy had to be fulfilled. Because the way by which Jesus was going to die was he was going to be betrayed. But scripture didn't say it should have been one of his own. If you read the scripture carefully, someone had to betray him, but it didn't have to be one of his own. Amen. Now, the object of betrayal here was any willing or available vessel. So it could have been the Sadducees, it could have even been Caiaphas, it could have been anybody. That's a blank check. It's any availing or willing vessel who was going to be used to fulfill that prophecy of betraying Jesus for his crucifixion to take place. It didn't have to be Judas per se. And there's also one thing you have to understand. God respects will. God respects will. Okay? Every human being has a will. And with our will comes choices. And Jesus is not going to necessarily step into the choices we make. He will respect that choice. So for Judas to be influenced by the devil, that was a choice. And Jesus had to respect that. Now, when you read your scriptures carefully, people who the devil was, you know, this world, we like to use a term like exorcised, but we say cast out. People who demons were cast out of, they came out of her willing heart to seek deliverance. So Jesus, Jesus is not just going to cast out things. He's not just going to intervene in things if you are not willing. 
So that, that explains the reason why one of his people had a devil. And secondly, with everything that Judas had seen, everything that Judas had experienced, it was more of a choice. This man was close to Jesus. He saw all the miracles. He was privy to it. He had an opportunity to even become a candidate of the supernatural. Yet after all these things, if you will still betray the master, that is definitely a choice. Amen. But that's not what I want to focus on this morning. I want to focus on the story of Jesus performing feet washing. Now, in this story, it's mind-blowing because of what Jesus did. The Bible lets us know that he stood up, took off his clothes. Can you imagine? God clothed in humanity. He became bare-chested. You know, during the time of the Jewish culture, it was easy to identify a servant. Two things will let you identify a servant. One, he doesn't wear shirts or clothing. He just wears undergarments. Because the, the, the masters of those days, they really wanted to differentiate between a son and a servant. Because it was important to make that dichotomy because maybe the master may have a son. And when you come to the house, you, sh- you can't mistake a son for a servant or a servant for a son. And one of the major differences is that a servant walks bare-chested. So when you come to the house and at a quick glance, even before you might sit down and have service or reception, you're able to discover, oh, he's a servant because he's bare-chested. That's the first thing. Number two, the servant doesn't wear shoes. He's barefoot. So if it's a woman, a woman is also bare-chested. And she's not wearing shoes. The, the, the madame or the mistress of the house wears shoes and the daughter of the house wears shoes. So when you come to a house and when you see a male counterpart who is not wearing shoes, who is bare-chested, that is a servant. If you see a female who is bare-chested, I'm sure they use something to cover their breasts because of discretion. But if you see a woman bare-chested, you know, not fully clothed, that's upper body-wise, and also barefooted, that is also a servant. So there were postures and there were certain physical appearances that denoted a servant. The Bible says that for Jesus to perform this task, he took off his clothes and he became a servant. And in Jesus' time, it was a servant that performed this job. It was a menial task. But Jesus performed it. And during those times, you had to understand that the climate was very tropical. You know, they didn't have our seasons, like what we have now where leaves are now dirty in our our houses. It wasn't that time. It was tropical, very, very hot. And the roads were very dusty. There was nothing like an asphalt road or a tarred road during those times. So it was the duty of the master to welcome his guests when they come to his house. And a sign of welcoming his guests, two actions had to happen. One, the servant will come and pour oil on the head of the guest. That's anoint. 
And, and what is that for? The oil there serves as a cooling sensation when you have traveled so much in the tropical region because it, it cools you down because you may have gone through the, the, the sunny climate and you may be sweating a lot. You know, it gets very uncomfortable and you become very musty. The, the oil serves as a cooling sensation to cool you down. So that's the first thing they do. They do that. And then the second thing that they do is that they will focus on your feet. Because you may have traveled on the road. You see, even if you ride on a donkey or a camel, your feet will still be dirty one way or another. So they will also now have to pay particular attention to your feet and wash your feet. And when they wash your feet, what it means is that you are welcome to this house. That is a Jewish way of saying you are welcome. Before they will even offer you a meal to eat. Amen. Now, Jesus had to perform this. And to the disciples, it was an eyesore. Because, quite honestly, men servants and maid servants were not respected during the day. Men servants and maid servants were mostly slaves. You know, there were people who were captured probably through war. A king, a king of a nation and another nation may go to war. And when the king wins, one of the things they always do is that they take all the citizens of that nation that has been captured and they will make them captives or subjects. And the jobs that they normally do was being a man's servant for a man or a maid servant for a female. So they were not respected. There was nobody who was a citizen of a country who would find himself doing that job. They were servants. So it was something menial. It was not something respected. Jesus shocked them. This was his last day before he was crucified. He took off his clothes, bare-chested, in his undergarments. He picked up a towel, gathered himself, Sometimes the most powerful sermon is not preached. It is just observation. It's an action. The Bible lets us know that he went on his knees and he began to wash the feet of his 12 disciples one by one. Can you imagine? Among these disciples, even though they were called apostles, they were not the choicest of candidates. Among one was a doubter. Among one was a betrayer. Among one was one who had verbal diarrhea. He just said anything. He is prepared to write things with his mouth that his heart can't cash. And we will come to that in the subsequent verses. Among them was one who was too good or too self-righteous. His name was called Nathaniel. I always find it funny. When you read John chapter 1, Jesus says that you are too good. Too good. Too good. Well, that's word of knowledge. He was able to discern who he was because he was, he was so self-righteous that he looked down upon Nazareth. That when they told him that, oh, we found the Messiah of whom he comes from Nazareth, as the scriptures have proclaimed, he said that can anything good come out of it? It wasn't even a question. It was more out of detest. Like, what good can come out of this province? Too good. Among all these disciples... Among the disciples were people who were like terrorists. And the Bible word used for them was zealots. 
Do you know who a zealot is? A zealot is anybody who is prepared to die for his faith. That's a terrorist. Zealots. These were the people who said that Jesus. They said they won't let us preach. Let's command fire to come down from heaven. Look, these people held the Bible. <laughs> these people held the Bible. They said, let's call down fire. Can you imagine? You want to pray fire upon your enemies to come and consume them, just like Elijah did. These were all part of Jesus' team. They were called sons of thunder. They were also part of the people Jesus washed their feet. And that's very amazing. Now, while in the process of washing their feet, Peter, Peter was bothered. And he had every reason and every cause to be bothered. I'm sure if some of us were in that meeting, we would feel very uncomfortable because we would feel like, why are you doing such a menial task? Why do you want to disrespect yourself by lowering your standard? Why? And Peter said, you are not going to wash my feet. Peter is a Jew. He understands that. You are not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says that if I don't wash your feet, or if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter said, Lord, I want to be part of you. Then wash my hands and wash my head. And Jesus made a very powerful statement that I want us to take notice of. He said that you're already clean, but I need to wash your feet. And what I get from that statement is that for us to be clean, we have to receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. It's not the feet washing that makes us clean. He said, you are already clean. Your feet just need to be washed. I don't need to rewash you. When we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we are clean because of the gift of righteousness that has been imputed upon us. Now, what happened was a spiritual implication of feet washing. Jesus was saying that I am the Word. And when I wash your feet, I am just directing your steps so that you will be able to walk the path of purity. It was a spiritual implication right there. So, if you haven't received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, involving or engaging yourself in any Christian activity will still not make you right. Will still not make you right. And that was the problem with Judas. Judas had worked with Jesus for three years, but he hadn't developed the posture that the 11 other disciples had developed. They had received Jesus as Lord. They were clean. So their feet just needed to be washed. With Judas, he hadn't received the Lord Jesus as his Lord. So he was still dirty. Even though he was involved in tasks and he was involved in the activity of ministry, he still hadn't received Christ as his Lord and personal Savior. I always tell you, one of the scriptures that really bothers me sometimes is when Jesus looked at a man who could quote the scriptures, looked at a man who could teach, and he says, marvel not. 
Think about it. He said, don't be surprised. Except you become born again. And he was talking to someone who preaches the Bible, someone who quotes the Bible, someone who recites the Bible, someone who reads the Bible for a profession. He looked at him, a Pharisee called Nicodemus. He said, marvel not, don't be surprised. I tell you, if you don't become born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is very possible that there are people who have become very involved in ministry, in the task of ministry, who probably are not born again. It is very important for us to receive Christ first to become clean. And then when we read the word of God, the word of God just orders and directs our steps so that we will walk on the paths of purity and righteousness. And that is the spiritual implication of that. If you haven't received Jesus as Lord, you are not clean. Reading the word will not make you clean. Praying in the church will not make you clean. Becoming an usher in the church will not make you clean. Volunteering to help the church will not make you clean. Receive Jesus as Lord first, and then now you can complement it with all the activities, reading the word, and all that stuff of things. Otherwise, when you don't, it is called POD. And you know what's the meaning of POD? POD means polish on debt. And any boy that has been in boarding house will understand. Sometimes when it's time to bath, you know, when you wake up and when you know that you are late for class, you will just put some perfume on you and then just, you know, scrub so that you can go to class. It's called P.O.D., polish on that. Anybody who has not received Christ as his Lord and personal Savior and is just involved in Christian activity is doing P.O.D. So Nicodemus was doing P.O.D. He wasn't clean. Yet he was just performing P.O.D. And Judas was also not clean because he hadn't received Jesus as Lord. Even though he had been with him for for three years, he was with Jesus, but he was not of him. That was why he could betray him. And that was why Jesus let him alone. And when he had finished the feet washing, Jesus did something. He charged them to do likewise. And he said, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And when Jesus was saying this, this was a cultural implication. You have to understand that the climate of their day demanded that there will be feet washing. So Jesus was not promoting feet washing as a doctrine of the church. But the motive behind feet washing is servanthood. So, if probably the roads were tarred during Jesus' time, maybe that would not happen. I'm sure maybe another thing would have come. Maybe when he would have finished eating, he would have just taken their plates. Instead of the servants coming to do that, probably he would have taken the plates and then he would tell them, do likewise. So, what Jesus is also telling us is that when we go to a house, we have to be a servant and do the menial task. It sounds unpleasant. It sounds even humiliating to your ego. But the concept that Jesus is promoting is that of servanthood. We should come to a place where we should not see ourselves too big to do menial things. Amen.
And this story is not only for our knowing, like Jesus said. He said, blessed are you when you do them. So today as we read this scripture, we are not just supposed to know it and narrate it. Okay? This story is not for mental accents. This story is not for us to memorize. This story is for us to practice it. We have to come to a place where we embody these truths and apply them to our lives. So, from today's scripture, there are some few leadership lessons we can learn from. Now, when we talk of leadership, don't check yourself out. You know, sometimes in church, there are certain things when we say, people check out. For example, when you are married, and when the pastor said today, I'm going to preach on how to choose a partner, the, the person who is married will check out. This message is not for me. Yeah, it might not be for you, but you need to listen to it and perhaps pass the information to somebody, maybe your children or to somebody you know that might be dating. And so, sometimes when we hear messages like leadership, some people check out, oh, I'm not a leader. I'm here to surprise you this morning. You are a leader. What is leadership? Leadership is influence. Everybody in this world has influence, one way or another. So you're a leader. So this message really applies to you, just as it applies to people who hold certain leadership positions. So from this story, I learned something about a leader because Jesus was a Lord and a teacher. That's a place of leadership. And yet he ministered to disciples who were also in a place of leadership. That's why I called the message Leadership Principles from the Ultimate Leader. So the first lesson that we can learn from this story is in verse 1. And when you read verse 1, the word love appears there twice. So what's my first lesson? The first lesson is real godly leadership stems from a place of love. I don't know about you, but for the past two weeks, I've really been blessed by our midweek Bible study series on what does it mean to be a Christian. I advise you to listen to it. Yes, yesterday, we were discussing about the impact of the message, and I was telling Pastor Jessica that I have changed some, you know, I'm going to do some reading. You know, I, I told her very into to very, very detailed on what I'm going to do. Because, let me tell you something. Biblically speaking, there are only two things that will show you are matured. One is understanding and applying the doctrine of righteousness. Hebrews chapter 5. And the next is love. That's it. That's it. These are two things. It's not about how good you can preach. How many miracles you can do. How many branches you've planted. uh, 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 The size of your church per se how many leaders you free and all these things are very good it's very laudable we will not say don't do it but when we are talking about one that has really grown and matured in the faith to the point that christ has been formed in him and he's become more like christ understanding and applying the doctrine of righteousness and then love so i was telling Jessica that if love is the most important thing that will show that I am a true disciple of Christ, 
then I have to do some, which I really went into to, to, to her just yesterday because of the message. Amen. Because we have to come to a place where love will truly define our Christian work and experience with God. And, and the love doesn't have to be concealed. It has to be something that is seen and felt by our fellow peers. You can't become an effective leader if you don't love people. So many people are just fascinated with the title of being a leader and embossing over people. That's not real or true leadership. It's not pure leadership. It's not, in a sense, godly leadership. It starts from love. Let me tell you, leaders, they don't boss people. They lead. There's a difference between leading and bossing. But the motive of your leadership has to come from a place of love. And Jesus, that was what made him very relevant and very effective. He had love. And if we want to be able to make an impact and and make an effect, for some of us, we will go to work. And that is your place of leadership. Whatever you do there, let it stem from a place of love. Number two, leaders are very vested in team building and bonding. Now, like I said in my opening remarks, this same scripture is also recorded in three other passages. So I want us to look at one of the passages in where the Lord's Supper is recorded. So go with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 14 to 16. And sometimes it's very important for us to find out, like, if Jesus did a miracle, did it also appear in any of the books if it did appear in any of the books sometimes it's it's good to just read all the accounts so that you'll be able to get the full picture of the event amen so luke chapter 22 verse 14 to 16 when the hour had come he sat down and the 12 apostles were with him then he said to them with fervent desire i have desired to eat this passover with you before i suffer for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Can I ask you a question? If you know that you are about to die, and I pray, you know, nobody will die, okay? Just the purpose of illustration. It, it, okay, let me just use myself. If I know I'm about to die tomorrow, the last thing I will want to do is have people around me to eat. Are you understanding me? Do you think feasting will be one of my things? I mean, sometimes when I'm eating, I'm like, wow, Jesus was very strong. He had appetites. Like, he was still able to eat a meal and commission the Lord's Supper. When you know that tomorrow you will die. Think of it. But the action I get here is team building. Do you know that one of the activities that promotes team building and team bonding is eating? There are many activities, but one of them is eating. Even now, when we look at corporate America today, corporate America has become very personal. In some quarters in corporate America, they will prefer to hire someone who is emotionally intelligent than someone who has a 4.0 GPA. Because now, intelligence is very good to be intelligent, and bless God for intelligence, but intelligence has become overrated in the 2020s. It's not just enough to have a 4.0 GPA. 
from an Ivy League university. It's not just enough. That's not going to make you relevant and that's not going to make you successful in the workplace. It's good to have a 4.0 GPA from an Ivy League university, but in addition to that, you also have to be emotionally intelligent. Are you going to affect the fiber of the team? What vibes are you going to bring to the team around you? All these things are important. And as much as you are clever, you also have to be a team player. And Jesus was a team player. And that's why some of these corporate America, you know, in, in many of these um, um, businesses and these enterprises, they promote bonding. Let's go out to eat and let's go for lunch after hours and all those, and in fact, merry hours or whatever they call it. All those things, it's a form of team bonding and team building. Amen. So a leader must learn how to foster unity and teamwork. That's very important. So for me, one of the lessons I learned from it is that even Jesus, until his dying day, he was still interested in gathering his people and eating together with them. It speaks to me about team building and team bonding. You can't say that you are a leader and the members of your team are all disgruntled. Amen. So let's learn that from the ultimate leader. Be vested in your team by bonding with your team. Amen. Don't always become secluded and don't always feel you have to be unique and different and distant. Amen. Number three, keep eternity in perspective. And I like this. And when you read verse three, the Bible lets us know that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God. Now, when you read verse four, the Bible says he rose from supper took off his clothes. Keep eternity in perspective. When you keep eternity in perspective, you have a greater sense of accountability. You will know at the end of the day that God will be the last person you will see before your destiny is decided. You see, Jesus had eternity in perspective. The Bible says that he knew that all things that were in his hand were given to him by God. He knew he had come from God and he knew he was going to God. That to me talks about being eternity-minded. He had eternity in perspective. Sometimes too many Christians, we think of ephemeral things and we don't have eternity in perspective. And when you don't have eternity in perspective, it will really affect your walk with God. Amen. The fourth thing, leadership is service. Leadership is service. Verses 12 to 15. And the Bible lets us know that when Jesus took off his garments and when he sat down again, I'm sorry, when he wore his garments, not when he took it off. He wore his garments and when he sat down, the Bible says he began to tell them that, you know that I am your teacher and your Lord. You know that. And he said, if I, your teacher and Lord, if I have done this by washing your feet do likewise and he says that i've given you this as an example so that you will also do it and most assuredly i tell you a servant is not greater than his master nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him it's talking to us about service leadership is service we've all been sent by jesus We've all been sent. And we are not greater than Jesus. We are not greater than our master. So if he served, 
we also have to serve. In this case, Jesus demonstrated it by washing feet. Even though he was master and he was Lord, he didn't mind doing menial tasks. Let me challenge you today. Don't be afraid of menial tasks. It doesn't diminish you. It will not demote you. Don't be afraid to do things that are exclusively for servants. It will never diminish you. Like the popular saying, if you are too big for small things, then indeed you are too big. You are too small for big things. Let me repeat it again. If you are too big for small things, then you are too small for big things. Sometimes many people miss their promotion because of pride. So today, that is one way that we will know whether you are esteemed. You have a a, a high sense of self-esteem because you are in God. Or you are using the title as a crutch to build your significance and your worth. Jesus, even though he knew he was master and he was Lord, he was prepared to serve the people. Leadership is service. You don't become effective as a leader in this Christian context by bossing or ruling. It comes by service. Amen. And the fifth and the last thing, godly leadership is different from secular leadership. Amen. Luke chapter 22, verse 24 to 27. This is a very interesting passage. Now, there was also a dispute among them. Now, they are just finished eating the Passover meal. Jesus had just finished washing their feet. Right? John just didn't record this part, but Luke recorded this part. Jesus had just finished washing the feet of the disciples. And the Bible lets us know there was a serious argument among them. And what was the argument? Who will be considered the greatest? After Jesus had rightly said here that if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed the feet of people and you are supposed to do likewise, immediately after that, the Bible lets us know there was an argument. And they were arguing about who is going to be the greatest. And Jesus had to say, Jesus was so patient. Jesus was so patient. Because he had just taught them this. And they were still arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus said, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs, as he who serves. For he who is greater is he who sits at the table or he who serves. Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I among you as the one who serves. Jesus is saying that the greatest is not the one that exercises lordship. It's the one that serves by leading. Secular leadership, they are interested in bossing. They are interested in ruling. They are interested in having privileges. But godly leadership, they are just interested in leading by serving. And they are interested in being an example. Godly leaders are interested in modeling. 
secular leaders are just interested in bossing and ruling and being on a power trip. And let me even say this, because it might even go wherever, worldwide. Books like The 48 Laws of Power is antithetical to the Christian faith. And I even know churches and pastors who even recommend these books. It's power trip. And when we become Christian ministers, we are not on a power trip. Okay? We are supposed to serve and be like our master Jesus. Real godly leadership offends the senses of secular leadership. When it comes, it, it offends, it's not even at parity. Amen. So as we can see, we shouldn't make ourselves useless in the eyes of God because we can no longer serve. Let me tell you this. Anybody who can serve has become useless in the eyes of God. What is God going to use you for? God can use a leader who will not serve. We have to become useful because we will serve humanity and not because we are on some power trip and we want to boost and stroke our ego. In Christianity, you, there is nothing like boosting and stroking your ego. When you come into Christianity and you practice Christian leadership, your ego is deflated because Christ truly has to be the center. God has use for people who will follow after the pattern or model of Jesus' kind of leadership by seven. Let's pray. Father, I've delivered your word to your people. I pray that may we meditate on your word and may we become effective leaders to our family, among our friends, and in the marketplace. And Father, help us to become better leaders in shepherding your flock well. In Jesus' name, amen.